Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see uh, uh, some of you here this morning. I know a lot of folks are out sick, and uh, Delta virus has been uh, wiping many folks out, so uh, good to see everyone here. We are praying for those who are sick at home, and uh, welcome all of you who are watching us at home. Let's uh, open with a word of prayer. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for this time together, and Lord, I ask that um, that you would just be present with us this morning, that you would send your Holy Spirit upon us. Lord, I pray your special protection for those who are at home sick, uh, the flu and the cold, and um, those who are just uh, being cautious as well. Lord, I know this virus has has really just taken a toll on so many, and uh, Father, I pray your protection for them. Lord, I pray that um, as we preach this morning, as I preach this morning, that you would be present and speak through me, that I would disappear and that you would appear, that you would um, cover our ears to any error that I may speak and open our hearts and minds to what you have for us, Lord, as we continue to just meditate on the words of this uh, beloved apostle of yours, John. Lord, I ask that you would just uh, open these words to us, that you would open our hearts and minds to what he has to teach us really to meditate on what it means to love as he continues to peel back that onion, as he continues to delve into the true nature of love, which is to know you. As we know love, we know you. Help us to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, there was once a Christian counselor, Jim Wilson tells the story, with a man who was having, he was having, he was speaking to a man who was having difficulty with his marriage. Now, he was talking to him with great sensitivity. The man had a lot of concerns, shared all the problems. Now, the counselor told him that his answer was to love his wife, just as was commanded in Ephesians 5.25. Now, the troubled husband replied that he just couldn't do that since he felt no affection towards his wife. The counselor thought about it for a little while, and he said, well, hmm, then the answer is for her to move next door. Just buy a house, have her move next door. The man said, what in the heck? Why would I do that? He goes, well, the answer then is for you to love your neighbor, just as it says in Matthew 19.19. And the man grew incensed, exclaiming to the counselor that he just didn't understand how much he had grown to hate his wife. The counselor thought about it and replied, Huh, the situation is finally clear to me that all the man needed to do was to learn to love his enemy." as it says in Ephesians 5, 43 to 48. The husband had bought into a romantic worldview that love is the way that we feel. And as I've said before, the biblical worldview, or the biblical concept of love, is that love is something we do. It's an action, not a feeling. And oftentimes when you do those actions, the feelings will follow. We act in the loving manner, we act as Christ tells us to, and the feelings will follow. 
And that's what we're going to look at this morning. 1 John 4, 12 to 13. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. Remember, that's dwell, uh, makes his dwelling in us and his love, agape. Remember, John is using agape all the way through this. Now, in his letter, in his gospel, he uses agape and philia, brotherly love, and agape, unconditional love. He uses it the same way, kind of interchangeably. Paul uses agape and philia differently, but John uses it in the same fashion. But here he says, his agape is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him or dwell in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. So John speaks to his congregation about how they can know if they're saved in verse 13, which as we've seen before, we know we are saved by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So how do you know if you're saved? Well, you have the Holy Spirit within you. Romans 8 tells us that quite clearly. Corinthians talks about that too. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It makes sense that if Christ is in us, if we accept Jesus, we we really say we accept Jesus into our heart, but really kind of what's happening technically is the Holy Spirit is within our heart, right? So if we have the Holy Spirit and we're the temple of God and we have that dwelling within us, we have God dwelling within us, we know we are saved, right? We have this leading or guiding of the Holy Spirit. And that's a a good example. And John says the same thing as Paul. He tells us what's going on. This is how we know that we are saved. But in verse 12, he's really tackling an issue that at one point or another hits all of us. Have you ever wondered if there is a God? How many of you have wondered that? Right? All of you can raise your hands. We've all wondered that at some point or another, right? I've wondered that. Everyone's wondered that. It usually it happens after you fail the test in school, right? I've I've had those moments. You you lost a job, something happens, but sometimes it happens after those darker moments. Is there a God? After all, we can't see him. It's hard to know him sometimes. It's hard to feel him. I've had those conversations so many times. And so John begins to talk about that, right? Not that anyone has seen the Father in John 6, 46. He says that. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Jesus has seen him, but we haven't seen him. So if you haven't seen him, how can you believe? He echoes Paul, 1 Timothy 1, 17. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, this is a fact that has bothered many believers since the dawn of time, except for, you know, Adam and Eve, they got to see him. Cain, at least, got to speak to him. But we didn't get to see him, and so how are we supposed to believe? And look, from the time we're in our mother's wombs, we are creatures of senses. We have five senses, right? Unless we lose one. What are our five senses? Do you remember? What are they? Taste. What else? Smell. Eat, touch, and hear. Yeah. I think we missed one there, but we we got them. Oh. Oh. And see. And see. You got that one, too. That was pretty good. You got sight, right? That was pretty good. We have all these senses, and we have them from the time that we're born. And we use them all, right? We use all of those things. And, 
And so as human creatures, we're used to seeing if we can do those things, then we believe in these. But if we can't use these senses, we have a hard time believing in things that we cannot sense. It's just the way we are. Now, science hasn't been able to get a sample of God or an audio recording or a photograph. And for those reasons, many won't believe. But many scientists, if you think about it, like science really is an extension of our senses, right? We've got a lot of engineers and rocket scientists here. And they'll say, well, we can't. But really, science is an extension of the senses, right? Am I wrong on that? I mean, it's just that's basically what it is. We've, we've made all these fancy things, these machines and whatever, to extend our senses, And many scientists, though, uh, who don't believe because they can't sample God, they can't taste God, they can't touch God, we don't have a machine to do that, but many scientists at one time believed that the world was flat and that the universe revolved around the earth. No one believed in black holes, and we thought that cells and then protons, neutrons, and electrons were a ludicrous thought. Yet all of these things were in fact true regardless of the ability of humans to prove it at the time. Just like all sorts of other things are true right now, there's millions upon millions of facts that we don't know, and yet they're all true. We don't know all kinds of things that are happening in the universe right now, and yet all of these things are true. We don't, we know, all, we don't know all kinds of things that are happening at the bottom of the ocean, and yet they are all true. We can't prove them or know them, or understand them at this point of time. So think about this. God is too large. He exists in such a fashion in which we cannot see him. How or why, we don't know. Scripture simply says he does. Think about this. A being that is so large that he expands all throughout the universe. That he spoke, and it comes into existence. We don't know what that means. All we know is that he spoke, and it comes into existence. How do you measure an entity that large? How do you see an entity that large? How do you taste an entity that large? How do you touch an entity that large? We can't even see the center of the sun. We can't go there. We can't stand on the surface of a blue star or any of these other things. We don't know what really Jupiter is like if we go there, but God knows all of these things. He's that powerful, and yet we think we can understand God. What if he's out of phase? What if he's in a different light wave, right? There's all kinds of ways that God could be, or all places that he could be that we simply can't see or experience or perceive. How would we calibrate an instrument to pick up God. So John goes on to help us. How do we know that there is a God? He says we do have evidence. God has interjected himself. We, we know that through scripture and we know that through history. He's reached out to us via his word, his prophets, miracles, events, missionaries, preachers, teachers, and most of all, his son, Jesus Christ. And then, of course, through the Holy Spirit. He's done this through all these things. At the end of the day, this is the way he chose to show himself. We can't perceive him with our senses, but we can perceive him because, well, at least he makes himself real to us, and so we can perceive him through these ways. He kind of 
condescends and reaches out to us. 1 John 4.16, he says this, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. In 1 John 4.18, he says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. So he talks about the invisible God. He talks about Christ reaching out and being that fulfillment. And then he switches and talks about how that invisible God begins to love us. And that's what he's doing here. This powerful, invisible God has reached out to us and loves us. And then based on this love, we are to love others. He begins to talk about the nature of love. Now, as we saw last week, God is love. Now, we don't flip that. Love is not God. God is love. Remember, we learned that God is a simple being. We are complex beings. God is what he is. We are made up of things. He is what he is. So God is the source of love. So building upon what John says, for the believer, this means that dwelling in God means dwelling in love. If you want to know true love, you need to know God. If you want to become more loving, you become more God-like. Right? That's basically what he's saying. So this love, then, is not based on fear. It's not based on fear. Fear is basing your love on punishment, on going to hell, on worrying about all those things. That's not what loving Jesus is about. Because Christ has come and sacrificed himself for us, he says, and we now have the right to call God Abba, Father, or Daddy. That's what he's talking to us about. There's a new relationship we have with God. We can sit on his knee. We call him Dad. Jesus is now our brother. That's an intimate relationship. He is not holy other. He is now condescending. He has become like one of us in Jesus. He has sent his son. But Jesus has now given us access to the Father through himself. And then the Holy Spirit comes within us. And now we are united with Christ. And we have access to the Father. That puts us now in a loving relationship with God. Not a fear-based relationship with God. Now if that doesn't bring you to your knees, I don't know what will. And that's an amazing thing about this God. Now, the fear of which he speaks is described here, Romans 8, 14 to 15. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Right? There you have the contrast. The fear of slavery of sin. And now, but we don't have to do that. We have now been adopted as sons, for which we cry out, Abba, Father. And these are the things which Jesus rescued us from, so we no longer have to live like that. So Jesus, then, has shown us what it means to love. He's died for us. He's come down. He's shown us the ultimate love. He sacrificed himself for you, so that you may enter into this relationship with the Father. 
He's now shown you the path of love. He has shown you what love is. And so now John says, you need to live into that love. John, 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. Because Jesus did this, now we are to live into that example. Are you doing that? We're called to learn, to live, to learn and to live into unconditional love and brotherly love, agape and philia. This has implications for every relationship in your life. John starts first, though, with our fellow believers. 1 John 4, 20 to 21. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment that we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, some take this passage to mean brother like everybody, like you should love everybody out there. Now, I don't think that that's what this passage is saying. Now, it doesn't mean you shouldn't love everybody out there. Don't get me wrong, right? But what he's saying here, I believe, is your brother and sister in Christ. Because it first starts with the household of God. Not that you shouldn't love other people, but it first starts with the household of God. Like you should at least begin here. Why? Because you all share the power of the Holy Spirit. You are linked in the Holy Spirit. You should at least start here. If you can't love another person who has the Holy Spirit within them, then there is something seriously wrong with you. And that's what John goes on to build. Like This is a mark of the believer. If we have Christ within us, we are united to a loving God. And if a loving person, united, if a person is united to Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, you're united to the loving God, and you have a, a lack of love within you an inability to love, then that is a serious sign to other believers that maybe you're not a believer. That's what John is saying. That is the mark of a Christian. The world tries to call us haters because they've designed or, or, or redefined love in such a way that we are hate. Because for them, they've, they've, de they've defined love to be immorality. If you're immoral, you're loving like Sodom and Gomorrah. But that's not what love is. God has defined love in Jesus. Are you going to give your life for another? Right? Are you going to live into the love of Christ? Serving the poor, reaching out. Now that's not all, the, some in the world believe all these things too, and so some of the things spread about us are simply lies. But Christ is saying something different than the world. And we're to live into this. So this is at the core of who we are. This is how we are to live with one another. Do you love your brother and sister in Christ as you love yourself? And then even more than that, if you don't love yourself, do you love them as Jesus loves them? Ouch, right? That's painful. I don't want to do that. There are people out there that I don't want to love as Jesus loves them. Now, a new believer may struggle with this. 
But a mature believer, anybody who's been in church for a while and has been walking this faith, this should be like riding a bicycle. This should be pretty easy for them. Now, if you're struggling with this with another believer, maybe you've backslidden. Now, there may be times when something horrible has happened to you, and you're going to have to fight through this. But generally, this should be something easy for you. This should be a common practice. You should be uh, easily loving people. You see, hate is the opposite of love. It is to wish evil upon a person or to despise them, not simply uh, um, to despise a person, not simply a person made in the image of God, which is bad enough, but despising one in which you are united in Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it speaks to an inability to discern or sense Jesus in a fellow believer an inability to understand the fundamental teachings of Jesus and the Father. It's a basic rebellion against God's nature. If you hate a fellow believer, you are living in unforgiveness towards them. You can't do it and be serving Jesus. Colossians 3.13 says this, We are called to bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. I cannot tell you how many times I've seen squabbles in a church where someone picks up their toys and goes to the next church. And then they get in another squabble and they pick up their toys and they go to the next church and the next church and the next church. And then maybe they'll even give up in a church and say, Ah, all Christians are tough. All Christians are bad. And I'll need to sit down with that person and all Christians are or you are. Everyone has the problem or you have the problem. We're called to reconcile. We're called to forgive. We're called to bear with one another. Bearing with one another often comes with that annoying brother or sister in Christ. You know who I'm talking about? The one that drives you nuts? you got to bear with them and love them. We're not going to like really get along with everybody in Christ. There are people who annoy you, and sometimes God like puts them in your lives to teach you patience, right? you still got to work with them. You can't just leave them. My daughter tells the story of a, of a guy who uh, was in her church, and, um, and uh, they, 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 the young adults were going on a trip. And uh, everybody raised their hands, and they were all, uh, who needs a ride? I need a ride. I need a ride. This one guy raised said, I can give somebody a ride. And uh, a bunch of people needed a ride, but nobody would go with them, except one of the new young adults in, in the group. There's a young 20s and 30s. Said, oh, okay, I'll go with them. He didn't know. So he gets in the car, and the guy's got Asperger's that he gets in the car with. And as they get in the car, he punches in uh, the Lion King musical from Disney and begins to sing loudly. And for the next four hours, sings the Lion King loudly the entire time. Drives the guy nuts at first. Then he realizes who he's dealing with. The guy is handicapped this way. And so he says, what the heck? And so he memorizes the Lion King chorus as he sings it for the next four hours and then the four hours back. 
Sometimes you've got to love your brother and sister, and it's not okay to not love them. Sometimes you've got to sing Lion King. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And that's the hard thing. Forgive as God in Christ forgave you. Notice, tenderhearted kindness, forgiveness linked to Jesus of forgiving and bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Now, if this applies to our brothers and sisters in Jesus, how much more to your spouses, your children, your parents? Loving, as I have said before, is an action, not a feeling. When we act in this manner, the feelings are going to follow. But you have to do these things whether or not you feel like it. This means when my spouse or my brother or my sister, when they blow it, when I don't want to forgive them, I got to forgive them. I got to work on it. Now, sometimes somebody does something really dark to you, really nasty, and you got to really work on that forgiveness. You got to work hour by hour, minute by minute. But if you keep on praying for forgiveness, you keep on asking the Lord to help you, you keep on working through it, eventually that minute by minute becomes 10 minutes by 10 minutes, and then hour by hour, and then day by day, and then two days by two days, and then week by week, and then month by month, and then year by year, and then it's gone. Sometimes you got to work through it. Sometimes life gets tough, but you still got to work through it. But most of the time, you just got to act on it. Romance and romantic feelings come and go but you still got to work on it. I still got to love my wife even when she's annoying. Right? I still got to do it. I'm never annoying, but sometimes, right, she tells me I am. I don't understand it. She's still got to love me. We got to work through it. So today, if you find yourself in the grip of hatred, resolve to give it to God and experience the freedom that is found in forgiveness and living in the love of Jesus. If you need help, please go to the prayer team or come see me or Pastor Mike for prayer. For those not bound by hatred, these verses remind us to continually move into an ever deeper understanding and practice of love. See, if you don't practice love, if you give in to that hatred and bitterness, it begins to eat you and consume you. Give it up. Give it to God. Don't live into this. Move into love. Our model here is the triune God. Jesus, who models this in human form, and we'll end with this, and the perfect obedience to the Father, and the Holy Spirit who models in an obedience and helps us to live into this love, and the Father who created us in Jesus and sent his Son to die for us. The reservoir of love in them is endless and beyond us, and for this reason, it'll be never-ending, and it'll be a challenge for us all. But nevertheless, it is the kind of love that we are called to, and it's well worth it. We're never going to perfectly emulate them. But the changes that are going to come when we try are going to be dramatic. The impact on your relationships are going to be dramatic. You keep on moving towards God and becoming more God-like. You will be amazed at the changes that happen in you and in your relationships. And as you begin taking that into the world, 
you'll be amazed at the impact that you will have on other people's lives. You'll be amazed at the impact that the church will have on the community. It's not just for the pews. It's to take out into the world. But it begins with you. It begins with the relationships here in this church. As you transform to become more and more like God, you will become more and more like the light of the world, which you are called to be. And the more and more you will cease to care about the things of this world and grow to be concerned about the things of God. And it turns out that those things are people, his creation, his word. But his word, it teaches about relationship. And creation, it's a thing that we rule over as the people of God in relationships. And this is why relationship is the central, the central part of the Christian faith and the primary building block of relationship in the kingdom of God is love. Amen.